58 down, 307 to go. My name is Chris. This is At A Theater Near Me, the podcast where I go to the movie theaters every single day for an entire year. Today, I'm going to be talking about the movies The Cursed and Studio 666. Good news is Concessions Month is not over yet, so I'll be talking about Skittles on this episode, as well as Oscar is, uh, the Oscars are in the hot water again. There are talking of not having eight different categories presented live during the show. That's created uh, quite a bit of drama in the awards slash Hollywood uh, film world. Talk about that a little bit. Before we do, uh, I want to talk about assembly row a little bit. That's where I spent the last weekend. Um, my wife and myself took my sister, brother-in-law, they have three kids to assembly row. Had a great time. It's a perfect place to go spend a weekend. The nice thing about assembly row is everything's really contained there. So uh, yes, you're walking outside, but you never need to go too far. And the shops are different. You never feel like you're kind of repeating yourself. You're kind of running out of things to do. I know I've been kind of taking giant dumps all over hotels on this show here, um, but I will say the Row Hotel uh, is a really nice spot. Like I said, I had a great time there. The rooms there are really comfortable, modern, big. Um, just just a, a really neat weekend. Brought the kids to Legoland. They had a great time. Uh, the coolest part of Legoland, they have... Uh, one whole room where it's just models of different uh, Lego models of different parts of Boston. Fantastically detailed. And uh, just, just, it was fun just to look at that stuff. The kids had a great time. You kind of, it's kind of a free for all uh, once you get in there. Uh, so that was fun. And uh, I went, while I was there, I went to movies Saturday and Sunday, both at the AMC at Assembly Row. So Assembly Row opened in 2014. Uh, that's also when that AMC theater that I went to opened as well. It's it's a nice theater. Uh, it's definitely showing its its age a tiny bit, like a a few of the seats were ripped up uh, in when I went to saw Studio 666 in that theater. Like the seats have been, uh, the cushions were kind of ripped away a little bit. The picture is still high quality. The sound is still great. Uh, the theater itself is, is, a, is a nice theater. Definitely had too much to drink at Tony C's on Saturday night. So I woke up on Sunday with the hangover, put me in a bad mood when I sat down to watch Studio 666. Uh, in fact, the movies, both The Curse and Studio 666 are not very good. It was easily the worst part of the weekend. Uh, I'll give my reviews uh, on those uh, at the end of the show. Um, but all in all, Assembly Row, really, really neat spot. Uh, I was in New York City when it opened, so I didn't really know much about it. Uh, and then when I came back to New Hampshire five years ago, I just never made my way out there. But uh, it's definitely a, a great spot, and I'll be going back in the future. I, we, we had a great time. Uh, Assembly Row, two thumbs up. Okay, let's talk more Oscars drama, because I feel like we're doing this every week here. They just keep shooting themselves in the foot. So uh, there are 23, well, last year, Taking a step back, there were 24 categories, but between this year and last year, they decided to merge two categories. They decided to merge the sound editing and sound mixing category into one sound category. Uh, that created a little bit of hubbub where some people, some sound professionals felt like they were being cheated, but it didn't get too much fury. People seemed to be relatively okay with that. Well, that was until last week when Oscars announced they were going to have eight different awards that were going to be handed out before the broadcasted ceremony. So in other words, they were going to start the Oscars say at 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern, not have it televised, have these eight awards to be presented. And then when the show goes live at eight o'clock, they were going to splice in these awards being won and then the speeches being given as kind of as time allowed during the actual show. Now, the Academy Awards also said that they would be showing the speeches in full. So like, I don't know how much time this would even save. Here are the eight categories that the Oscars wanted to get rid of here. Documentary short, film editing, which is a pretty major award. That can also be a pretty good bellwether as far as what's going to win best picture. Um, so I was surprised that that's one of them. Anyway, makeup and hairstyling, original score, 
production design, animated short, live action short, and sound. So of those categories, film editing, original score, and production design are probably the biggest. But original score is, is big because that has some pretty big names attached. So Johnny Greenwood, Hans Zimmer, both up for the Oscar uh, for original score. And there's been some pressure on them, uh, as well as other people, to boycott the Oscars. I don't know if there will actually be a boycott. I, I, I imagine some folks, especially in those categories, may not go. But as far as will like some heavy hitter directors who are nominated for best director, will they not show up because of this? I don't think so. I I, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. This, this story hasn't gone away. It's been a week. People are still really upset. I guess the people in the eight categories were notified via Zoom call uh, that this was going to happen. And that left a lot of people really angry. I'm a little torn uh, on, on this decision by the Oscars. Look, am I super excited when they announce makeup and hairstyling? Am I the edge of my seat when, when that award's given? No. You know, is the second hour of the Oscars typically pretty boring because they're announcing awards like this and it's kind of a drag to get through at times? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Some of these awards also are really important. I, th I think film editing, original score, production design, those awards I think are important. And documentary short, something that is meaningful to me. Maybe not, but that's also where a lot of great documentarians get their start. And uh, it's also a way to kind of honor some people in that, in those fields that don't typically get their moment in, in this, in the spotlight there. So I don't know. I don't really mind it. I, I'll tell you, I'd rather, I'd rather see awards given out than a incredibly long, boring song uh, that, you know, that's performed, uh, which we've sat through how many of those or how many bizarre dance numbers have we sat through? And then Jimmy Fallon made the joke. Like, I don't know if we need to see, you know, hear one more time about, you know, what, what exactly an actor does. Like, you know, we get it. I guess the other thing I'm kind of struggling with here to understand is if you're going to end up having the speeches shown anyway, then like, why, why, why are we doing this? Like, wh wh how much time is this actually saving? So I, I guess I don't really, I don't really get what they're doing here is, you know, if you want to cut those out entirely and have them on a different day, kind of like what the Emmys do does, I, I guess I kind of understand it on some level. I don't think it's particularly fair and it's kind of cruel to some of these categories, but I do on some level get it. Like most people at home probably don't give a shit about any of those categories. So, I mean, there is a level where I understand that, but at the same token, you know, it's once a year. I mean, there's other ways you can spruce up the ceremony. There's other creative things you can do. I mean, like, does the average person watching watching at home, do they want to see these awards given out? I don't know, but I'm guessing they're a lot more disappointed that Wanda Sykes and Amy Schumer are the hosts. Like, there's ways to make this presentation and this award show better. I don't know if removing the awards is uh, being shown is the best way to do it. I, I don't know. We'll see, we'll see what they have planned here. I don't know if we'll see maybe the reverse this decision if they still get more and more heat from this. You know, some of these people are in the Academy themselves. They can't be very happy about this. So, uh, you know, there's still about a month before the Oscars. I think it's exactly a month, actually. Okay, box office breakdown here. We have the same number one as we did last weekend uh, with Uncharted. Uncharted got $23 million this weekend. So it's up to $83 million in two weekends. That's a big win for Sony. I think it's a big win for the movie business. I think, you know, if movies like Uncharted, which are not Marvel or Star Wars or, you know, any, I, I know Uncharted obviously is a video game IP that a lot of people are really passionate about and it's starring Tom Holland, but that's not like a slam dunk going to be a monster hit. Like I said, like a Marvel movie is going to be. So the fact that Uncharted has 83 million in two weeks, that's a pretty big win. Number two is Dog. Uh, it made 10 million only dropped 32% from last week. That's fantastic for that movie, which is a, a, you know, a smaller movie with Channing Tatum and a dog. I mean, this is not a movie that you'd expect 
to make a zillion dollars. Like, like Kirk said, when he was on a couple of days ago, like the fact that dog is making that much money is, is a big win, um, for the movie business as well. So those are the two, those are like the two movies I would say in the tier a, uh, and tier B, we have Spider-Man no way home made 5.7 million only dropped 22% from last week. I mean, this movie just keeps chugging along. I don't know if there's an end in sight for this. Number four is Death in the Nile. made 4.5 million. Pretty good holdover from last week. Still doing okay. Number five is Jackass Forever with 3 million. In sixth place is Sing 2 at 2.1. I've obviously already seen Sing 2. So now we get into the movies where I think if I see them, it's not the end of the world for me. Uh, number seven is Marry Me. Made 1.8 million. Dropped 50% from last week. It's doing really poorly considering it's in over 3,000 screens. So of all the movies last week, Marry Me was in the fourth most screens. Uh, the fact that it's in that many screens and it's only bringing in 1.8 million is, is very troubling for that movie. It seems like everyone who's wanted to see it already has. Number eight is Studio 666. It made 1.58 million. I've already seen that. I'll talk about that at the end of the show. Uh, very poor showing for them. It only made $685 per theater, which is terrible for an opening weekend. I mean, this movie probably shouldn't be in movie theater. COVID kind of hits us on two fronts here with this. A, people aren't going to the movies. So because of that, studios, as we've seen throughout this project, are very tentative of releasing movies, especially if they can just wait a couple months as COVID kind of winds down, hopefully. The other problem is because COVID hit in 2020, a lot of movies maybe were delayed or not even made. So you have less options to pull from. Now, it actually happened with Studio 666. That, that movie was shut down uh, with about a week left in production. For a, for a few months and they had to restart it again. We saw that with uh, Nightmare Alley as well. A few other movies that was ma made in that time frame where they had to shut production down. So, you know, you had, you know, a few months where Hollywood wasn't, wasn't making any movies at all. And we're kind of seeing the ramifications of that now with, in, uh, you know, a very bizarre or weak slate of box of, of movies uh, in the in the theaters. Uh, Studio 666 in a normal year, you'd never, this would just be released on Netflix or um, or maybe some independent art houses. This would not be in over 2,000, 2,300 theaters. Number nine is Cyrano, made 1.4 million. This movie, the problem here is this movie cost like $30 million to make. It had a high profile director in Joe Wright. Uh, I, I talked about it on the last episode. I don't think it's a very good movie, but the critics are mostly like it. They like this certainly more than I did. I just don't know if there's a big audience for a movie like that. Like if you're if you're someone that's going to see a movie like this, chances are you're going to go see the movies that are nominated for Best Picture first. Uh, you know, Cyrano only has one Academy Award nomination. So there's not a lot of award buzz around it. Uh, it's not a flashy movie like Uncharted or Dog where, you know, it's like, oh, let's go see that and have a fun time at the movie theaters. It's kind of a, a, an escape. With something like Cyrano, I, I don't know quite what the audience is. And apparently it's not many because it said it only made 1.4 million. It was only in 800 theaters, um, but that's still a pretty weak showing for an opening weekend. I'm sure this is going to kind of come and go. Tough break for United Artists, though. I mean, I said this costs 30 million to make. It's probably not going to make 10 uh, in the box office. So that, that's a pretty big bath for them. Uh, number 10 is Scream. It made 1.3 million. Already seen it. Number 11 is The Cursed. That made 1.1 million. I saw that as well this weekend. I'll be talking about that uh, at the end of the show. That's now been out for two weeks. It's made 3.6 million. That didn't cost very much to make. Number 12 is Blacklight. That's the Liam Neeson movie. I'll be seeing that this week. Uh, it made 875,000. Uh, and then 13 is Moonfall, which I'll also be seeing this week. 14 is The Worst Person in the World. 15th place is the 
uh, Oscar nominated short films, uh, the live action short films. And that brought in $400,000. It was in 355 screens. I'm, I'm leaning toward not seeing that. I, I just think it might be just like too difficult to review. And also if there's some gray area as far as if it should be eligible for this project or not, I don't know. Uh, as of now, I'm leaning toward not seeing it, but I mean, it keeps bringing in money in the box office. Maybe I should see it. I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence in that one, obviously. 16 is Liquor's Pizza, 17 Encanto, 18 West Side Story, 19 Drive My Car, 20 Belfast. I've seen all those movies. Finally, in 21st place is Butter. It made $78,000. It's opening weekend, uh, weekend in release. It's in 300 theaters. It's put out by Blue Fox Entertainment. It made $254 per, per theater, which is incredibly low for an opening weekend. So for that reason, I'll be I'll be rushing out to see that as soon as possible. Okay, Skittles. Uh, Skittles are awesome. I love Skittles. The problem is with, my problem with Skittles is I can only have so many of them. Uh, you know, unlike the Haribo Gold Bears or Sour Patch Kids, I mean, I can eat those the entire time watching a movie and you know, I look down and the bag's almost empty. It doesn't quite happen with Skittles. I can, it's, it makes this like so much flavor. I, I kind of can only take so many of them, but I could have Skittles like every day, but you know, maybe only like 10 or 20 every day before I get kind of bored of them. Um, but they're always good. I, I, Skittles never disappoints. Skittles has an unusual history. This is the first candy where no one seems to really know who invented it. It was invented in England. It was definitely invented in 1974. That much we know. But there's no true person named as the inventor. It's named after a sport in England that is similar to bowling called Skittles. Uh, and it was introduced to North America in 1979, and it started being produced in America in 1982. They are vegan as of uh, 2009. Um, they used to use an animal-based gelatin uh, that they no longer use. They changed their gelatin recipe. So because of that, it is, uh, it is now vegan. Um, they're now manufactured by Wrigley uh, Company, which is, uh, which is a division of Mars. It, it's tough to really get a, a real handle on the history here because, like I said, a lot of it is very vague. I, I, I worked at a bunch of different websites. I couldn't really see. No one seems to know who invented them. So kind of disappointing. Skittles is odd. Like they have an odd, they have like a, also they have a pretty big social media presence. Also, there's like weird rumors about Skittles. There's a weird rumor going around that all the Skittles uh, were the same flavor. They just had different colored shells. But if you eat Skittles, it's pretty clearly not the case. Um, just close your eyes and try some Skittles and you can see that they obviously taste different. It's not the color. Uh, so Skittles is, is somewhat bizarre in that front. So I'll be doing peanut M&Ms to wrap up concessions month next, next, uh, next episode. So for me personally, Skittles is a top three, a movie theater candy. Number one, Sour Patch Kids. Number two, Haribo Gold Bears. And number three, Skittles. Okay, let's talk about the lousy movies I saw this weekend. I saw The Cursed and Studio 666. So The Cursed is, is quite bad. I'm giving this a D. It manages to pull off a pretty difficult feat. It's uh, able to be both gory and boring at the same time. Uh, it takes place in the 1880s for much of the movie. There's a group of you know travelers that get slaughtered by this guy that owns all this land in France. And uh, the band of travelers put a curse on uh, on the people who slaughter them. And uh, and then kind of chaos ensues from there. There is one shot in the film. It's quite powerful. It's a it's a it's a wide shot taken from far back and it's it's a one shot. So it's this land baron and the the, um, the land baron's workers all roll in on these travelers and they massacre them. Uh, you know, the land baron and, and that crew all are on horseback uh, and they go in and they, I said they killed these, but it's all done all in one shot, which is must have been really difficult to pull off, you know, from a choreography standpoint, also keeping the animals trained to go in the right direction. And one tent is set on fire. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on in this shot. Uh, it was a really interesting way to show it and also kind of shows how 
the brutality of it. Uh, I was really kind of taken back by it. This is directed by Sean Ellis. Rest of the movie, though, while it looks good, like it's it, it kind of has that mo- that mood that you know you see this in a lot of you know eighteen nineteenth century horror films. Kind of you know it's always foggy and dark and it has kind of that that ambiance to it. And Ellis does a good job with that, but you just don't care about the characters at all. Um, there's no one in this movie I would call a big name. Um, Kelly Riley from uh, Yellowstone is in it. The cast has a decent job. Performances are fine. But like I said, the script just doesn't lend itself. It's also written by Ellis. The script doesn't lend itself to really caring about these people. And I would almost say, I would say it's like a twist, but you know, whatever it is at the end is so obvious. It's not really interesting. Or I don't even know why they include it in there. This premiered at Sundance Film Festival in 2021. So this is technically a movie that came out last year. As I said earlier, I think it's just a situation where there's just not enough movies for movie studios to release right now and for theaters to stay filled. So a movie like this is going to open and uh, and open in over a thousand theaters, which is wild because this this movie just just doesn't belong in movie theaters, I don't think. And it wasn't particularly scary. There was no real tension. I was left pretty disappointed by this. I think that think there was some some promise there, but all in all, this is not a particularly good movie. So the curse gets a D for me, uh, Studio 666, uh, we'll get a C minus. Look, if you're a giant fan of the Foo Fighters, this is probably something you'll enjoy. If you're not, I'm not quite sure the appeal is there. Uh, this is a horror comedy hybrid of sorts, but it's not really very scary and it's not really very funny. Um, there are some funny elements in it and to their credit, much like The Curse, they don't shy away from the gore. I mean, especially this movie, this movie goes all in on the gore, which I think is the right move. I think you need to go all in on, you need to make big choices in a movie like this. The problem is though, like as far as being a a true comedy, you know, you just have people that aren't comedians and aren't actors telling jokes and it just doesn't always land, doesn't always work. I like the Foo Fighters. My favorite Foo Fighters album though is the self-titled one, but that was the one that Dave Grohl did all by himself. I think that album's fantastic. He played every instrument um, by himself on on that album and uh, recorded it and mixed it and an amazing job. Uh, he did it obviously right after Nirvana. Um, right, Kurt Cobain died. He was in a real depression, and he made he wrote that album, and that album is fantastic. The other stuff, I think they're a perfectly good rock band. I have I have no. I think Foo Fighters does a good job, and I think there's definitely a place for Foo Fighters. There were you know there aren't many you know rock bands out there that put on a great concert and um, makes rock relevant. They even kind of joke about that in the movie, how rock it just isn't relevant anymore. And it's true. But as far as this movie's concerned, though, it knows it's not a horror movie. So to their credit, they don't take that too seriously. I think they want to be a comedy first, but no one in the movie is particularly funny. I mean, Grohl is a Grohl would be a decent actor if he was in a large ensemble of other good of good actors where he could go in there. He's very charismatic. He's done been enough music videos and been in the public eye long enough where he seems really comfortable uh, behind a, uh, in front of a camera. So he wasn't the problem, but I don't know if he's the lead of a movie. Like it doesn't quite work. And I said everyone else at times is just you know stilted line readings, things like that. But like they're doing the best they can. The musicians. I guess the other issue. I have is there wasn't enough music in this um basically the premise is they they go to a a haunted house and they um they record an album but it's mostly them just them kind of talking about how scary the house is like there's a lot more of that than there is actual music being played um in fact we don't really get a really you know like a traditional or good foo fighter song until the end credits so i was a little disappointed i guess the cast is is beyond the foo fighters has some interesting people in it it has jeff garland will forte uh whitney cummings um so they brought in some comedians but then they're barely in it jenna ortega she was in scream she's also in the upcoming movie x which is 
interesting. That's from 824. That's about a, uh, a group of young people in the 70s that go and film a porn, unbeknownst to the creepy old couple they're renting the space from. So that looks interesting. So Jenna Ortega, in, in this, just, just in this past calendar years, kind of made herself a bit of a screen queen of sorts. She's a very small part in this, though. But I would have liked to have maybe seen more of the professional actors than, uh, you know, we need to see the the Foo Fighters, you know, cooking on the grill again. I, I, I don't know. It was, it was odd. I mean, I'm happy that a movie like this gets made to some extent where you have different filmmakers and, um, you know, some different creative forces at play. I just don't think they really stuck the landing. They also weren't benefited by their director, directed by BJ McDonald, who did a decent job. It's fine. He's not a filmmaker with a great library of films. He's directed like Hatchet 3. And so, I mean, from a gore perspective, he definitely hit the mark. But I think having a more established director, having other established actors would have made this, would have really helped this project go much further. But unfortunately, it looks like it's doing, uh, unfortunately for them, it looks like it's doing quite poorly in the box office. So I think this is going to kind of come and go. And maybe we'll be a cult favorite if it ends up on a streaming service like Netflix or Hulu. And people, you know, this is a great movie to kind of, you know, take some edibles, get drunk with your friends, laugh along with this movie. That's kind of the ideal. I don't know if this is a great, uh, it really works from a movie theater standpoint. Okay, this is the last episode that was sponsored by uh, the friend of the show that sponsored the entire month of shows for February. So I do want to give a huge thank you out to him. Um, really a huge support of the show. So, I mean, that went a long way, especially when you consider I had to take three different trips uh, to get away from the snow. So really helped out a lot. Other good news for me is budget month's coming up here. So I'll be able to kind of uh, tighten that belt a little bit. That will start on the next episode. Like I said, I'll, I'll cover M&Ms, but we'll also be talking budget month. And uh, next episode, we're going to have some advertisers, uh, some new advertisers join the program. And obviously, if you're looking to uh, advertise in the show, feel free to reach out at a theater at gmail.com. That's at a theater at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to go over advertising rates with you and, and, and see what, what might fit your budget uh, as we talk about my budget uh, for next month. So I'll be back on Wednesday and I'll talk to you folks then.